So I am finishing up our series um, talking about when God does a new thing. And I've shared with so many of you that I truly believe God is not only doing a new thing, he wants to. He desires to do a new thing in each of us, in our church, in the world. But here's the thing that typically when big changes happen, a lot of stress, struggle, and strain happen as well. And I think many of us can attest to feeling that the pressure, the strain, and the struggle But we have to understand what's going on. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about rebirth, renewal. And today I want to talk about revival. And I want to start by um, sharing some comments. They're actually verses. They're scripture in the Bible. But they're comments that, that God spoke to seven churches. And he did this through John and Um, They're prophetic letters, and I want to start out because um, they're just such powerful reminders. I think often we forget that in the Bible, God is often talking to churches. He's not just talking to individuals. He's talking to groups of these individuals who make up the body of Christ, that make up the church. So let me start here, and I won't actually give you the verse heading. I just want to read this. Actually, I think they might actually pop up, so you'll see what they are. But um, I just want want you to think about these as I read. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Here's another verse. I know where you live where Satan has his throne, meaning a lot of sin in this particular place where this church is. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. And then the final verse, yet to another church. I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I think all of us would love to hear God say that to us. I think we would also love for God to say that about our church. But these comments God makes through the disciple John, they're only part of what God has to say to these churches. So let me read three more uh, sets of verses here. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Another verse. But I have a few complaints against you. So this is a different church. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like Balaam, who who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. Do you think there are churches out there that do those same kind of things? And a final set of verses yet to another church. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. 
I think if we're honest, we could say, or God could say the same things about many Christians today. You have lukewarm faith. You welcome sin into your lives instead of fighting it. And you do not truly love God the way you used to. And if God can say those things to many Christians today, and if Christians are the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is the church, that would mean that God can probably say that to a lot of churches today. But praise God, we serve a, tr- uh, a God of new beginnings, a God who wants to see change through the power of the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for the ability to change. Over the past couple of weeks, weeks we've been talking about God doing something new, and I believe that with all that is going on in the world today, God wants to do a new thing. He wants to see it. He understands the stress, struggle, and strain that is going on in this world. But here's the thing. Unlike the typical change that I think most of us Christians talk about, and that's when believers or or non-believers come to Christ, and when people acknowledge God, I believe the change that God wants to see is change in his church. I've mentioned over the past, really, months, you know, how much Christianity is changing, how in many ways it's dying in the United States and around the world. People are leaving their faith, and I believe that's because many people are not strong in their faith. They put more of their trust in the world than they have God, and if you guys know any pastors, and if those pastors will truly be honest with you, they'll tell you it's a struggle for churches everywhere because people's hope, their faith in God is starting to waver. But God wants to see a change. He wants to see a change in his church. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn away from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now in context, this verse is talking about ancient Israel, and that's something important to understand because this this verse, what it was written, it's not talking about us. However, the concepts absolutely apply. The Christians, we need to humble ourselves and we need to turn to God. We have to understand there is something wrong, and part of what's wrong is us. Maybe we have forgotten our first love, God. Maybe we're doing a lot of great Christian things, but we're missing the whole point. And if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to humble ourselves, to confess our sins to God, then God can start to heal some things. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if he did heal our nation, if he healed the world? I'm not saying he will do that. He can if he wants to. But it all starts with us. We have to humble ourselves. We have to take a look at who we are, the way we are. Again, in week one, I talked about rebirth. Becoming a believer, truly believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because that's where true change happens. That is the greatest change of all, that now you are living for God. And last week, so that was two weeks ago, last week we talked about 
the reality that even if we are saved, we are still vulnerable to sin, and so we need to be renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to have our minds renewed. And Scripture tells us this is something that we need to do each and every day, because each and every day there are new challenges that we face, so we need that spiritual renewal of our minds every day. Now, when people are believers, when they accepted, have, have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and they're renewing their minds each and every day, that's when another incredible change can take place in individuals, in a church, in a community, and throughout the world. That's when revival can happen. But what exactly is revival? Sometimes you hear about this, and sometimes people probably explain it in really strange ways, so I want to try to break it down in a very clear way. The Hebrew word for revival means to bring life from sickness, discouragement of spirit, faintness, and death. I think many of us probably feel that from time to time. A little bit of sickness, discouragement, faintness, maybe spiritual death. Isaiah 57, 15, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. How incredible that when we are feeling these ways, God through the Holy Spirit can encourage us. He can revive us. He can be, bring life to where we are dead. Listen to how one author put this. He was describing revival. He says, Revival refers to a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. Maybe some of you are feeling a little dormant, a little stagnant. It encompasses the resurfacing of a love for God and appreciation of God's holiness, a passion for His Word and His church a convicting awareness of personal and corporate sin, a spirit of humility and a desire for repentance and growth in righteousness. Revival invigorates and sometimes deepens a believer's faith, opening his or her eyes to the truth in a fresh and new way. It generally involves the connotation of a fresh start with a clean slate, marking a new beginning of a life lived in obedience to God. A new beginning. I've been talking about this for months. God wants to do something new, a new beginning. He wants to revive us to refresh in our faith. This author continues, he says, Revival breaks the charm and power of the world, which blinds the eyes of men and women, and generates both the will and power to live in the world, but not of the world. You know, this world can get you down. This world can deceive you. We need God to open our eyes. We need God to revive us. So when we talk about revival, we are talking about an experience that begins with the Holy Spirit, working in the life of a believer, and that reviving that the Holy Spirit does, it brings us passion and fervor for God. And that can lead to the revival 
of a church, a community, and beyond, anywhere in the world. And this is when people see that miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Revival. It's so incredibly powerful. It is so incredibly needed. So why does revival happen? I started thinking of an illustration, and what came to mind was, was growing up with parents that are florists. And I'm thinking, Harrison, you, you can relate to this. And so, um, you know, often, especially I think like winter months or, you know, right before the springtime, my parents would have all these pots in the backyard. And they had like all these brown dried up plants. I mean, they look like dead trees or something. Just, I mean, lots of these things. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? Why don't you just throw these in the garbage? And so I'd ask my parents, what, what are you doing with all these dead plants? Like, what's the point of all this? It's really ugly. And they would tell me the plants aren't dead. They're just dormant. They would say, we're going we're gonna to plant them in the garden. And I'd say, you're going to plant dead plants in the garden? How does that make any kind of sense? But the thing was, I didn't understand that these plants weren't dead. They were like sleeping. They were dormant. They needed water and nutrients. They needed someone to care for them. And a very similar thing can happen to Christians, which means a similar thing can happen to churches because we are the body of Christ. The church, or the church isn't the building, it's the people. But the people, the church, we could become dry and shriveled up. And we could end up like those plants. We can be dormant. And this can happen for a variety of reasons. Sometimes God feels distant. For some of you, maybe you're wondering, where is God? I'm going through some things and I just don't feel him. So God may feel distant to you. You may be going through a rut in your spiritual life. Sometimes we get to this place and we're just stuck. We're doing the same things. I've talked about though there are those that need that daily devotional, that kind of start of your day to pray and, and focus on God, read the Bible, which is incredible. Sometimes, if we're not careful, that just becomes so much of a pattern that it ends up not being about God. It just becomes something we do, like drinking coffee. So we have to be careful that our spiritual life does not fall into a rut. Many times it's a contributing event that causes people to dry up spiritually. Maybe you've lost a loved one. I've heard a lot of people who were Christians, or maybe some that are, they've lost a loved one and they start to blame God. They don't understand why God would let that happen. And their, their, their pattern of thinking goes from, well, how can a God that loves me, that loves the world, how could he allow this to happen? Especially if it's someone young, or they weren't expected to pass away for a long time. I've heard many people that were formerly Christians or say they're Christians blame God, and they really struggle, and their spiritual life is all dried up. Maybe you have a health issue. Again, something I hear a lot of, a lot of Christians struggling with their faith because they have an illness. And maybe that illness is terminal, and they just don't understand why God could allow this. And so their life, their spiritual life starts to dry up. Their belief in God, their trust in Him starts to dry up. And I think that 
pandemic is a great example that there are some people out there, you know, I don't want to get COVID, probably like all of you, none of us wants to, but there's people out there that are paralyzed by that fear and their anxiety, and they start to question God. We have to be careful about that because it can dry us up spiritually. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you have a broken relationship. These are all things, all events that can lead to a Christian being dry spiritually. Maybe you have no sense of direction. You just don't know what the next chapter of your life is. And then I, I think one that just hits people all the time, it's busyness. We get to that point where we just don't feel we have time for God. We have time for a lot of other things, but not God. Pay attention to these things, church, because these things can lead to us being spiritually dry. And one of the major problems with being spiritually dry or spiritually dormant, being asleep, is that it's not always easy to recognize when we are. Usually, we don't see anything's off. Think about those churches. If you get a chance, read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. It talks about these churches that are convinced they're doing everything great, but only two of the seven really are. So we have to be careful because it is so hard to see in ourselves when we're struggling with our faith. And if we're not open and transparent with other people, they won't be able to point it out in us either. So be aware. We need to be aware of those times when we can become spiritually dry because we need God's help. We need God's help to revive us. Just like those plants needed help, they needed water and care, so do we. And praise God that we have a loving God that is willing to do that, that wants to do that. So how then, how, how does revival start in us? Well, sometimes, and I would say, unfortunately, probably the majority of times, it takes a lot of stress, struggle, and strain. Because when things are going real well, and many of you could probably attest to this, when things are going great, when money's flowing in, our health is great, relationships are wonderful, we don't really think about needing God. Unfortunately, those are the times when we're like, hey, everything's great. But for some reason, when we go through challenges, when life is really tough, those are times when we tend to be a little more open to ask for help, even from God, that we're willing to listen to him, we're willing to reach out to him because we don't know how to solve our problem because ultimately we can't solve our problem. So sometimes revival starts in us with stress, struggle, and strain. But we got to remember, just like I said last week, sometimes we can be so tired physically mentally, spiritually, that we don't reach out for God. We've just, we've just, we're so tired. We don't even realize what's going on, like I mentioned, and we're not even feeling up to going to church. We're not feeling up to reading the Bible. We're not feeling up to praying. When someone wants to talk to us about what's going on, we tell them, hey, everything's fine. We need to be transparent. We need to be real. And hopefully, we can catch ourselves in those times that we're struggling. Another great description another author had, this time it talks about how revival starts. Genuine revivals throughout history have typically begun with the half-hearted Christians. They are the ones who have let the world's way of thinking 
and living creep into their life until they are torn between having a desire for God and having a passion for the things of the world. Does that sound like anybody you know that they want to please God, but they like that car over there, or they want to please God, and that's a really beautiful person, you know? And it, it just, they start lusting over things of the flesh, and God is no longer the priority. Their own happiness, their own desires become the priority. This author continues and says, they realize that they have fallen away from their first love and are no longer in a love relationship with Jesus, but are only performing out of habit or obligation. Their obedience is not based on their love, but upon their fear. Just like when an unbeliever comes to Jesus, the half-hearted Christian starts to sense God calling them back to a life that is sold out to him. Their hardened heart begins to be broken up and plowed once again. How incredible for, for all of us. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian to have God give us like incredible soft soil that, that he can plant things in. He breaks up those rough places, those chunks of mud and clay. Now he's, he's going to turn it into some awesome usable soil. So how do we do this? What do we need to do? How can we experience spiritual revival in our lives? Well, first, we have to understand that spiritual revival, it starts with an individual. We could sit here and say, hey, we want to see revival. We want to see, you know, churches explode and change. We want to see, you know, the Bay Area and beyond totally live for Jesus. It does not happen that way. It starts with you and me. It starts with us as individuals. We have to understand that. Second, honest evaluation and recognition that something is off in your life. It is such a powerful thing when you're talking to someone, they can say, you know, my fervor, my passion for God, I just don't feel it right now. I don't know why. I can't explain. I just know something feels kind of off. I don't feel the way I used to. That is such an incredible thing because it shows one, how much God loves them, that the Holy Spirit keeps burdening them. But it also shows that they are not giving up on their faith. They are fighting for it. They don't get it. They don't know how to fix things, but they know something's off. Again, we don't want to be Christians who don't even understand that something's off. You know, this morning as we were driving in the church, Emily was telling me, hey, you know, my shoulder kind of hurts. I think I was sitting kind of weird. You know, praise God that the Holy Spirit could do that for us if we really want him. We can recognize when something's off. Because one thing I learned from my chiropractor, our bodies are so incredible that our bodies will self-adjust when something's out of place. And then what happens is we start working, we start doing our daily lives with something out of place. And that's how a lot of Christians are. Something's out of place and they're going around like this. There's something not right, but they don't realize. It. We need the great chiropractor. We need God help us get things back aligned, but we have to honestly evaluate ourselves and our heart condition to see what's wrong. Again, sometimes it's just that feeling that something's different. I'm not experiencing things that I used to. Maybe you're struggling with sin more than you used to. I've seen this a lot with people. Something, a sin pattern that they've had, the further they get away from God when they're in those dry times, 
man, they struggle with sin. It could be anger. It could be lust. It could be a lot of different things. But sin, it just happens more and more in your life at these times when you're spiritually dry. Maybe you're struggling with relationships. Man, just every relationship you have, there's something that stresses you out about them. Pay attention to that. Maybe it's coworkers, maybe it's family members, maybe it's friends. Something is a little bit off. You don't pray as often as you used to. Your church attendance has dropped. You don't participate or serve within your church the way you used to. Bottom line, your passion and love for God and your faith in Him is not the same as it used to be. And the third and final thing, there's a lot of content in this sermon, but hopefully you guys will remember some of this. The third thing, and this is where it ties back to seven churches in Revelation. God gave those churches some great advice on how to deal with their spiritual dryness, how to be revived. The first thing he said was repent. Throughout the letters to those seven churches, you hear repentance over and over and over. We need to repent. And true repentance is defined in Scripture. It is, is to change one's mind or purpose, which leads to changed actions. What that means, it's to understand this behavior that I am doing, it is not right. It is a sin. And I understand it. And I can't stand it. Therefore, I'm going to change. I'm going to do something differently. That's what repentance is. Repentance isn't just saying, oh, my bad, God. It is saying, God, I feel terrible. Why did I do this? I need to change. Help me change. And then you change. That's repentance. And God tells these seven churches, even the ones that were doing good, there was two of them that were doing all right, repent, still repent. That's what we need to do. But in order to truly repent, you need to understand what you did wrong. You need to understand your disobedience, your sin. This is so important because if you don't know something is sinful, or maybe for some people, they don't agree that it's sinful. I know a lot of people out there that they know what Scripture says. They just don't like it. So to them, it's not a sin. Well, if God said it, if God said it's a sin, it's a sin. We can't, we can't water down the gospel. We can't change it. We can't add our own interpretation. It is what it says. It says what it does. So, yeah, we have to be careful. We have to understand what our sins are. And the only way we can do that is by reading God's word. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. And we have to remember that sin, there are certain sins listed in the Bible. But sin isn't just a list of do's and don'ts in the Bible. God goes beyond that. He tells us it's heart condition. I've told this example many times that Jesus one-upped it. He says that if, you, if a man was to look at a woman lustfully, he's committed adultery in his heart. If you've thought it, more or less you've done it. It's a sin. God's one-upping it. You can tell. Sin is difficult. It's difficult to acknowledge. It's difficult to deal with. But it's a serious thing. But if you want to truly repent, if you truly want to change, if you truly want to experience revival, repent. Understand your sin. Second, remember. We have to remember biblical teaching we received when we were first saved. 
that incredible biblical teaching that told us that if we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we'll be forgiven of our sins and we can experience eternal life in heaven. That's why throughout the New Testament, we hear so many warnings about false teachers and false teaching. Have you ever thought about that? Why, throughout, especially throughout the epistles, the, the letters to the churches, why do we hear, beware of the false teachers, the Judaizers, all these different people that are preaching really strange theology? Well, it's because if you allow false teaching to enter your church, enter your brain, you're going to start to believe those things. And all of a sudden, something or someone's interpretation of the Bible, you're going to believe it's gospel. You're going to believe it's the truth, and it isn't. An example of that is in many churches today, prosperity theology is taught. The kind of name it, claim it theology. It's a theology that basically says, if you have enough faith, if you believe it enough, God will will that thing to happen. So, for example, with my dad, who's dealing with cancer, if we have enough faith, if he has enough faith, he'll be, say, you know, he'll be not, he'll be saved from cancer. You know, that's what this theology is saying. The problem with that is, you know, if he isn't saved, then you have a lot of people be like, "Wow, I guess I just didn't have enough faith. I guess I'm not a good Christian." And so that kind of teaching it causes people to stumble. It ruins people's faith. And this is just one example. There's all kinds of really funky teaching that some churches out there will do. So we need to remember the true gospel that was taught to us. And I think it's so incredible to think about the love relationship and why you first came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's a great thing to remember. Are you as passionate today about your faith as the day you came to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? At times, I'll be honest and I'll say, no, that I even struggle with it. Like when I first went to church, when I first went to Sunday school and heard about this Jesus guy and I was so excited, do I still have that same passion? I need to. And there's days that I don't. And so I'm going to assume if there's days that I don't, there's days that you don't either if we're really being honest that's a great barometer remember how much you love jesus and when you first gave your life to him you wanted to give him your everything so what's happened that's what god is saying to these churches in revelation he's saying what's happened what caused you to forget your first love well it's the world the world caused us to forget so we need to remember our first love, we need to remember the original teaching that we got. And that leads us to the final thing, is that is return. Return to your first love. Return to God. The world has so many temptations, as we talked about last week. The world thinks differently than God does. And as a result, even for Christians, it is so easy to fall in love with what the world says to love. And three of those biggest things that the world says to love is power, fame, and wealth. First Timothy, Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs.
the pursuit, the love of money, <coughs> or what it can bring. Scripture tells us that people have wandered from their faith. These are Christians. So that pursuit of money has caused them to walk away from their faith. People can be lovers of themselves. 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 5. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. These are not easy passages to hear, but this is the Bible. If you haven't heard these verses before, you're not reading the whole Bible. These are warnings. These are what we have to be aware of. That's why the very last book of the Bible, God is confronting these churches to get it right, to be revived. Here's one that I think it just th those churches struggle with this, and I think it's hard to wrap our right, minds around it, but we can even fall in love with the Christian lifestyle while forgetting about loving Christ. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This was the issue that the church at Ephesus had. So this letter was addressed to them. It talks about forgetting your first love. They forgot God. They did all these wonderful things, but they forgot God. The Bible tells us God needs to be our first love. Matthew 23, verses 36 through 38. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind with everything, with all of your being. Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. Church, we need to fall in love with God again. Our lives have to be all about God. That's how our revival starts. If we put God first, God can do incredible things. So make God the priority. Spend time with Him. Talk with Him. Learn about him. Worship him. I'm going to conclude with the last thing that we could do to fall in love with him. And that is listen to him and obey him. It's really interesting. And again, I encourage you guys, you don't have to get maybe into the really deep prophetic parts of Revelation. Maybe at some point we'll hit that. But chapters 2 and 3, these letters to the churches are so much to learn. What's so interesting in all Seven of those churches, when they're being addressed, this same verse reappears to all of them. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something, church. The Holy Spirit is telling us, 
God wants to do a, do a new thing. This is a new beginning. But that new beginning, that change, it has to start in each and every one of us. It can't be all change if that changes, all change if you change. No, 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 no. You have to change because you're hearing the Holy Spirit tell you to change. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you change. Guys, that's the only way we're going to experience revival. And I've told you guys this time and time again. God is wanting to do a new thing in each of us and in this church. But it is contingent on each of us and our willingness to be revived, to be changed. Amen? Lord Jesus, Lord, your, your word is so incredible. Your, your word can be so encouraging. It can also be so convicting. Lord, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would help us. Help us to know if this is to encourage us to push through, if this is to challenge us, if this is to convict us of sin, of things we need to look at, help us, Lord, to discern that. I pray, Holy Spirit, that if though there are those out there just feeling spiritually dry, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help them to understand what they need to do to be revived, just like those plants. Lord, I thank you that you don't just leave us out there you care for us. You love us. You want to bring life to dry bones. You want to bring life to us. Thank you, Lord, for your prophetic word to the churches in Revelation and what we can glean from them. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that loves you, that you are at the heart of everything that we do. Lord, help us to be the people, the church, the community, Lord, the city that you want us to be in order to be able to transform the world in your name. Lord, we love you so much. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, guys, so today's sermon went a little bit long. Um, actually, I do not feel about, bad about that at all. So, but, um, so we have a couple announcements. So if we could pull up that announcement slide. So we have community groups that will be meeting, and it's been a while. It's been man, almost uh, a month since you guys have gathered. So that's going to be happening on Zoom 11. Uh, I think other than Greg's group, just you guys who are part of groups, just use the regular Zoom link. And then we will let you guys in. That's at 11 o'clock. And then we have our town meeting today on Zoom. Um, just wanting again to keep everybody safe. That's going to be 1 p.m. Just use the regular Zoom link for worship. We're just trying to kind of consolidate, make things easy. And then next week we have our annual Joint Society meeting um, on Zoom, and that's going to be at 2 p.m. So let me pray as this is kind of that time that we've set aside for receiving our offering. Lord Jesus, um, thank you, Lord. Thank you for new beginnings, Lord. Thank you for revival. Thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you for the way that you have been so faithful to this church. Lord Jesus, um, through people's giving, Lord, you have used and multiplied what people have given, Lord, and as even this uh, next week, Lord, as we are just kind of voting on budgets, Lord, both of our ministries are, I pray that you would give us discernment, Lord, on how you would have us to use what you have blessed us with, Lord. If there are those out there that maybe they've never given, Lord, it's just kind of a new concept or something that, you know, feels like a bit too much of a stretch. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to them, Lord, burden their hearts, Lord, if that is something you would have them to do. We pray all this, Lord, in your name. Amen.
Well, for you guys here, you are dismissed. We can go hang out in the other room. For you guys online, hey, we love you guys, and we will see you soon. God bless.